You can imagine the setting a bit. It had been years as she walked from home to the well, head hung a little bit low, eyes cast down, trying to keep away from any conversation that might come about. You see, having to walk the distance from the house to the well to get water, a daily need, a daily necessity, something that was needed within her home, yet she couldn't go at the time that everybody else went. Normally, you'd go and get water in the beginning of the day, around dawn, where the weather was cooler, the job was easier. It was a bit of a social opportunity to see how things were going on in the society, an opportunity to talk with a neighbor, an opportunity to pray with them, an opportunity to spend some time with the person who was right next to you in life and see how life was going. Check in on the children. But not, not for her. See, she, she went at noon, the middle of the day, the middle of the heat. Fewer people to interact with, fewer people to have to deal with and answer questions to, fewer people to have to look at her for the most part. Fewer people to talk to. See, because there's, you know, there, there were husbands before. And the first instance was understandable. And in her day and age, around that well, around Jacob's well, and in amongst her community in that, that day and age, a husband could just, you know, send a lady off with a certificate of divorce and say, I'm done with you now. And so that had happened to her five times. In and out of households, in and out of the relationships. And there's a point at which one thing happening isn't so much, but happening over and over, the people around her start to talk, start to wonder. And you see, there's a moment at which maybe even you've dealt with this. You, you have a sin in a particular portion of life, and that sin brings guilt. See, guilt is one thing. We can often handle guilt. There's forgiveness for guilt. That guilt draws us either to the person that we have hurt or that guilt draws us to our Lord and we say, Lord, forgive me for this thing that I have done. You see, guilt comes from something you've, you've done. But then, then there's a moment sometimes that that starts to shift. And it's no longer about something you've done, but maybe a way in which that something that you've done starts to shape who you are. You see, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Shame is not so much about what you've done. Shame is about who you are, something that identifies you. And maybe you've seen something like that in your life where a title is placed upon you because of a particular action in life. That particular action may have brought guilt and you have had remorse and you have asked for forgiveness and that forgiveness in Christ is sure and certain. But maybe people just know you by that action now. And that feels different. That feels like shame. 
And it starts to change how we interact. It starts to change how we talk with others. It starts to change how we feel we're perceived by others. And for this lady at the well, it was no longer guilt over something, but it was a shame. It was a shame that had altered her daily life. It was a shame that had altered how she went about taking care of her household. It was a shame that had now shaped her to a point to where she didn't want to be around other people. And as she walked to the well that day for a simple daily necessity of water to drink, to cook with, to take care of plants with, She had to do it at a different time, in a different way. And you can just imagine the thoughts in her mind as she looks up for a second at the well she's headed to and there's a guy standing there, sitting there. A guy she doesn't know necessarily, but a guy she can tell is not a Samaritan. A guy who's a Jew. A guy that should have nothing to do with being in this area of Samaria because Samaritans and Jews did not get along. At all. It was not a peaceful spot when they were together. And so you can imagine all the conversations rolling around in her head. What was she going to say? What was this guy going to ask? What am I going to have to answer to? He's going to wonder why I'm here in the middle of the day. He's going to ask questions about things that are going on. I don't want to have to deal with this, but I need water. And before she can say anything, and I'm sure with eyes still cast down, trying to mitigate any possible conversation or any possible eye contact that would make some sort of connection, Jesus speaks up. Hey, you pour me a drink? Have some water, please? And now she's the one asking questions. <laughs> what do you want water from me for? You know who I am. I know who you are, at least where you come from. There's no reason you should be asking me for water. That's completely inappropriate. Why do you ask me for water? It's a good question. In the midst of her shame, which she doesn't think he knows yet, Knowing more about herself than she feels this stranger knows about her. She knows that she's not one to be able to give anything to this person at this point. And probably doesn't even want to continue talking to the guy. Just wants to get her water and get gone. And in the middle of that, Jesus continues to interact. Continues to talk, continues to involve himself in a conversation with her, continues to care for her by showing who he is. So he starts just asking, hey, water, please. She says, well, no, I'm not the right person to get you water. We shouldn't be doing this. And he goes, hey, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. Now she's curious. How are you going to do that? You have nothing to draw water from. You just asked me for water. How are you going to provide me with water? And, by the way, are you greater than the guy who made this well several hundred years ago? He drank from it. His kids drank from it. Their animals drank from it. And it still has water. This is unending water. It has been around for centuries. 
and it's still flowing. Yeah, but I'll give you living water. I'll give you something different, something that you won't be thirsty anymore. You won't thirst for an escape from your shame anymore. You won't thirst for an escape from the society anymore. You won't thirst for an escape from all of these things that have so shaped your life, woman. Which, by the way, is the same thing he called his mom at the wedding at Cana. Same word, same title. Same moment of endearment. What I give you will reshape you. That's what he's trying to say. It's what he's trying to share with her. In the midst of the things that you feel have shaped you so much, I want to give you something to give you a new identity. I want to give you something that you can rely upon, something that you can depend upon, something that you know is absolutely, eternally, never-ending. Because I know who you are. And I know what you've done. Hence the conversation about the husbands. And the fact that the one she's with now won't even give her the decency of calling her his wife. Won't even enter into a marriage contract at this point. Won't even get into the middle of that at all. And Jesus says, I know where you're at. I know who you are. And I know how you feel about yourself. Yet in the middle of all of that, woman, I want to give you something. I want to give you something that you will not be able to find anywhere else. I want to give you something that will reshape you. I want to give you something that will take your heart and your spirits and lift them because you will no longer be so focused upon yourself. You'll be looking at this gift. This gift of forgiveness. A gift of a new identity. A gift of a new person, a gift of a new heart, a gift of something to stand upon to say there's something other than where my feet are standing right now in the midst of my shame. A gift of honor. A gift of life. And did you see her reaction? The faith of her words where she says, look, I know I'm not a Jew and you've just told me of the fact where the salvation is going to come from the Jews and you guys worship over in Jerusalem and our fathers worshiped here and I know there's a separation between all that but I believe that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is the one that's going to come and make everything right, make everything the way that it should be and bring honor back to things that are shameful. He says, yeah, it's me. And people, a lot of times, when they look at Scripture, they'll say, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. (laughs) Really? Yeah, he did. He said, I stand in the place where my father spoke. I stand in the place of my father's name. I stand here as the fulfillment of all of the prophecies to come. I stand here as the one that is going to bring you honor, bring you forgiveness, bring you a right standing before God the Father again. Now, for a woman who had a hard time going to a water well at the regular time of the morning, she runs back into the village. She runs back to her neighbors and she says, everybody come out of your houses. You got to come hear from this guy. He's told me everything that's gone on in my life. He is a prophet. He is the Messiah. 
I know I haven't wanted to talk to you in all a long, really, really long time, and I've wanted to try and stay away from all the neighborly conversations, and I've wanted to stay away from all of that because of my shame. Yet right now, because of who he is and the promises he has made, I need to tell you about him. Come, hear him. Come, listen to him. Come, see who this guy is, this Jew sitting over by Jacob's well. You need to come hear him. The village ran out. And if you continue on in that narrative, if you continue on in John's text as he writes about this real-life situation, you hear the people say, look, we believe not just because of your words now, we've heard him for ourselves. We've heard him for ourselves and we trust in who he is. We've heard him for ourselves and we know who he is. And in the midst of all of that too, the disciples had come back. And they didn't question Jesus. They didn't ask him why he was asking for a drink of water from the well while they went out to go buy food. They didn't ask him any questions because they weren't sure quite how to handle the situation. Yet Jesus is there bringing the truth and the forgiveness that he has, not just for the Jews, but for everybody. Everybody that would have faith in who he is. Everybody who trusted in him as the Messiah. Everybody who he was working through to draw unto himself. Everybody that he was bringing honor back to. And so, for you, know that in your life where certain actions may have shaped you and certain actions have given you a perception of yourself and as Satan takes your eyes and focuses you upon those things and tries to point you further and further into that shame, you can look at Satan and say, no, Christ died for that and brings honor. Christ died for that and brings me forgiveness. Christ died for that and brings me a new identity in him so all the things that may have wrapped me up in shame are no longer there, Satan. There are things that happened, but there are things that are done away with. There are things that are forgotten now by God. There are things that no longer define who I am because I am defined in Christ in my baptism. It's his identity, his righteousness, his honor that I stand in now, that you stand in now. As baptized children of God, you carry Christ's honor and Christ's righteousness on you. Stand confident in that, knowing that he is Lord. In his name, amen. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the honor that you have given to your creation through your Son who has died for it, risen for it, and brings us back to you. We pray, Father, that you continually hold on to us in your grace and in your mercy, and that you lead us. Lead us to speak of your Son to all those that need to hear, And let us rest in the forgiveness that he has. In his name we pray. Amen. Churches are able, would you please rise as we sing?